get ready for that, and uh, we're going to dive into the Word of God. So we're glad you're here. So now here we are again in the chapel uh, here on our campus, and we're running to Philippians chapter 3. If you were with us last week, you know that the message title was True Christians Press On Regardless. And you may remember that race that I talked about that I really enjoy, the rally race of pressing on, continuing toward the finish line, even when there's been a wreck, even when there's been difficulty, even when the going has been hard and things have not been optimal. We see that the Apostle Paul is is challenging us, is calling us, is showing us that the way of walking with God in a broken world is a way of difficulty. It's not the easy way. It's not the flashy way. It's very often the difficult way. But the Apostle Paul is saying, but our reward is anything um, but less than valuable. It's anything but ordinary. It is extraordinary that our reward in finally seeing Jesus Christ. So this morning, we continue in this this really a diatribe that the Apostle Paul is on, this, um, this polemi- polemical uh, part of his letter where he is preaching against false teachers and he is warning Christians not to fall away. Do not, as I've entitled the message, true Christians, do not trade treasure for trinkets. Now, I know that some people um, that are tuning in, English is a second language, and you say, well, I've never heard the word trinket before. What's a trinket? A trinket is some little um, thing. Maybe it's a little piece of costume jewelry. It's not a piece of real jewelry. Or maybe it's a, it's a little piece of tourism memorabilia. Or it's, it's some small thing that really has no value but at the moment, it seems to have value. Somebody looks at it, and maybe, maybe it's a, a piece of, of jewelry that's a bit of a fad. It's, it's not a long-term thing. It it's comes and it goes. Or maybe it's a, it's a piece of memorabilia from um, a visit somewhere that at the moment, it seems so important. But later, you know, it winds up in the box that's either going out in the trash or it's, or it's being sold at a garage sale for 20 cents. So that is a trinket. And what we want to see here is that the Apostle Paul really is saying to Christians, look, don't trade the eternal truths of God. Don't trade the eternal rewards of God for the trinkets in this life. That really is a good synopsis, I think, of where we're going. But let's, let's look at some background reminders, and we're going to read the text. And, and we've read and studied part of this text already, but it fits together, so we'll read it again. And then we're going to press on to the new text um, that we have this morning. So number one, if you're new to us, the greatest background thing you need to know is that this letter called Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he is in prison in Rome, and he's writing to people in a city called Philippi, which is in Greece. And it's important to remember that not only is Paul in prison in Rome, but the people in Philippi, they're having trouble as well. They're having economic trouble, they're having trouble with persecution, and they're even having some trouble in their church. So things are not optimal on an earthly sense in either way, but there's no other letter in the New Testament that has more reference to the word joy or rejoice or the glory that there is in Christ than this little letter. So amidst the trouble, there's the picture that life in Christ rises above the circumstances to bring 
a joy that cannot be taken away by earthly circumstances. So uh, let's just remember that overall view of this letter. Number two, in this section, this, is, this seems the same at first, but then it's going to change a little bit. In this section, which is basically all of chapter 3, and just edging over into the first verse of chapter 4, look at this. In chapter 3, verse 3 through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is passionately reminding the Philippians that, fill it in, knowing Christ, really knowing him, not just knowing about him, but knowing Christ through faith in him alone, not faith in anything else, but faith in him alone is everything. So the whole picture, he is saying, All I need is Christ and to know him, to know him in his resurrection, to know him even in his suffering, that I may be with him. That is the great goal of life and that is what secures eternity. That is what to be found in him and to know him, that is what the, the end all value of our existence can be. And the Apostle Paul is showing that. But let's notice a few of these bullet points, and these are a little bit new. I want you to see this again as we review. He slams these guys called the Judaizers. He slams the Judaizers who came behind him teaching a gospel, a supposed gospel, of salvation by works. So they were saying, good, you have Christ, but you also still need the Jewish law. So they were Judaizing. They were seeking to make them Jews as well as Christians, or Jews first and then Christians. And that ultimately was going back to what they would do in a salvation by works. Now, before we're too hard on the Judaizers, that can be Baptists too. That can be Presbyterians, too. That can be EV-free, too. That can be any Protestant denomination, too, that is steeped in the, the doctrines of cultural Christianity that puts a veneer of Christ on top of a works-based salvation. Now, there are many in churches today who do not understand that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the truth that was reclaimed in the Reformation, and that is the truth that if anyone is going to know God, they must come to God on his terms, which is by his grace, that we repent of our sin and we turn to faith in Jesus Christ. We recognize that we cannot save ourselves and that he alone can save us. And so Paul is slamming these people that are teaching another doctrine beside that. Look at the second bullet point. These Judaizers preach the same old legalistic, and here it is, fill this in, self-righteousness of the Pharisees. So they were teaching the same old legalistic stuff from Judaism, and they just had a Christian veneer on it. A Baptist preacher can do the same thing. A Presbyterian preacher can do the same thing. Any other modern preacher can still do the same thing by teaching moralism instead of teaching salvation by faith in Christ. Look at the third bullet point here. He openly declares that he hasn't arrived at the perfect holiness that yet awaits him. And so the Apostle Paul is also giving a hint here to us that some of these Judaizers and maybe some other type of teachers were coming in and saying, what, you're not perfect yet? You're you're still sinning? What in the world? And so they, in their self-righteousness, declare that they are doing everything correct and that 
and that those who have not yet stopped sinning don't really know God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, look, I'm a Jew among Jews. I was trained in the school of Gamaliel. I have gone all the way through. No one can accuse me of not going all the way with the law. But I consider all of that from my past absolute rubbish. It is trash in comparison to knowing Christ. Now, there's some people in churches today that, it, once again, they think because of what everything that they do, that they're not like this person, they're not like that person, and they're really looking at elevating themselves and elevating their comparison to other people in thinking highly of themselves instead of recognizing their poverty, their spiritual poverty before God in their sinful flesh and needing the gracious salvation of Christ. And so a true Christian puts away their own righteousness and clings on to Christ's righteousness and his work on the cross as their only hope of salvation. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I haven't yet arrived at my resurrection holiness that's going to be when I finally get to Christ. I, yes, I am still a sinner, but, and then we come to verse 14, he says, this thing that I do, this one thing I do, I press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look at that fourth bullet point. He presses on and fill it in maximum pursuit. And this is the language of running. This is the language of striving. This is the language of competition in games. I mean, is somebody who's trying to win a prize, do they hold anything back? They do not hold anything back. They're going for it. And that's what he likens his passion for knowing God, his passion for living unto the life that he knows is his to come. Look what it says. He presses on in maximum pursuit of a holy life because he belongs to Christ. And so and we see this in verse 14. Last Sunday, we looked at the idea of why true Christians press on regardless, that P-O-R, press on regardless. And we see it in verses 12 through 14. Just a quick reminder. They know they haven't arrived yet. You see, the Apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there yet. I haven't obtained it yet for that which has obtained me. Look at the second one. They know the course before them. And, and they, they know what's, what lay, is laying ahead, and here it is. They know that there are alternatives. And so the Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do. And not only does he know that there are alternatives, they know that there's failures. He said, I have to forget what lies behind. And maybe he has to even forget what lies behind yesterday as well, not just the accolades from when he was uh, a religious Jew, but maybe it's the fail, failures from yesterday. And that's what Christians have to do as well. Notice here. And they, he, they know that the course that lies ahead is difficult. You see, the modern era wants to make Christianity like, hey, this will make your life less difficult. Jesus is the great additive that will just make your life better. And nothing could be more false than that. In fact, the Lord Jesus said, all who are godly in Christ Jesus, or the Apostle Paul wrote, all who are godly who are in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They are going to come under great pressure and difficulty. And so far be it to to tell any first century Christian that this is the better life. This is the easy life in this present life. Um, But they were living for a life that was to come. And we see that over and over again. You see, Jesus isn't an enhancer. He is the center. I've written a few of these things down for myself. Jesus isn't the veneer. He's the core. 
Jesus isn't the additive. Jesus is the essence. That is the picture of what true faith in Jesus is all about. That it's not that we're adding him to our life to make things a little better. It's that he becomes our life. Our life is his and he is ours. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. That's the language of this passage. Notice the last one there, why true Christians press on regardless. We know that there is a glorious prize of Christ to come. And so the Christian's goal in life is Christ. The Christian's goal in life is to live under Christ so that finally, when we are together, he will, in, in fact, be all of our eternity, our eternity. He's going to be all that we hope for and all that we are. And he, we are called to live like that now. Well, let's, let's just read the passage from last week a little bit, and then we'll go on. Look in verse 12 at the box on the top of the page. Not that I have already obtained this. You see, we've said that he, he, he's saying that he's not already perfect. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says an interesting phrase in 15 and 16. He's basically saying, look, you really ought to think this way because this is the truth. And if you don't think this way, God's going to reveal it to you. Look what he says in 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. It's something interesting going on there. The word mature is actually the word perfect. And it's a play. This is a bit of a more of a slam on those who are claiming to be perfect. He was saying, no, that those of you who actually are perfect in your position in Christ, who actually are mature spiritually in your position in Christ, he's saying, you, you think this way if that's who you are. And if maybe some of you who don't think, think this way, he's saying, in time, I know that God is going to reveal this to you. So look what he says there in 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He's saying, don't leave the gospel. Don't let go of the real truth that you have come to know. So look down at number three in our preliminaries here. This section, chapter 3, verse 7 through 4, verse 1, is in part a polemic uh, against false teachers. Now, what's a polemic? A polemic is a, is a verbal diatribe. It's either verbal or a written statement against someone and what they believe or against a, an ideology or against a thing. So this is a, this is a strong statement against false teachers and apostasy. Um, what is apostasy? Apostasy is leaving Christ. Apostasy, apostasy is turning away from faith in Christ, from belief in Christ. So the Apostle Paul is slamming both of those, both the teachers that promote that and any individual that would follow them or any individual that would allow themselves to be drawn away from Christ. Now, this is interesting because all of the Bible, look at the next bullet point, all of the Bible has a tremendous amount of warnings against leaving God and his truth. 
Um, we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, this isn't just something that Pastor Andrew gets hung up on because, yeah, I've, I've mentioned it a lot. From the day that I was, started preaching at Sheridan Hills, um, we've not shied away from the strong statements beginning in the Gospel of John, where we spent three years studying the Gospel of John, and numerous other studies as we've gone. We've always just simply preached what's in the text. And what is in the text over and over and over again is the whole idea of you don't need religion, you need relationship with Jesus. And also the picture of don't leave God, don't leave the truth, stay in the truth. In fact, we see in the scripture, the whole of scripture is showing us that those who are truly gods are going to stay with God. They're not going to leave him. They're going to, they're going to remain with him. Um, Jesus says this over and over, but notice here on the outline that throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea. Beginning with Adam and Eve and even Cain, we see this. that This tremendous pull to, to leave the truth, to, this tremendous pull to buy the lie. Um, then we go all the way to Noah's day. And by the time we get to Noah's day, the world is so evil and so wicked that God wipes out the wickedness with a flood. And all of this is for a reason. As we progress not only up to the flood and then beyond the flood to the nation of Israel, to, to Abraham, and then we see Lot and his wife. Again, a, a picture here of what, what does Lot's wife do? When they leave Sodom and Gomorrah, what is she? she's told not to turn back and look. And yet, what does she do? She turns back and looks. And we see this judgment that is there all the way through the Old Testament. We see the nation of Israel keep turning back to their sin. They keep looking back to the other gods. They keep looking away from God. And we see over and over again... God bringing a correction, bringing a, cha a chastisement, God coming and bringing him. And I believe that all of that is to show us that we desperately need a Savior. That we desperately need a Savior who can perfectly fulfill the righteousness of God, who pays for our sins and then seals us in himself and holds us in him. And by giving us faith to continue to be faithful to him and to walk with him. Well, notice the next point there. Throughout Jesus' discipleship and his teaching, we see that those who are following Christ keep leaving, keep falling away. It will say over and over again, if you read the Gospels, that more and more as time went on, the crowds grew for a while, and then the crowds started to subside. As Jesus began to say some hard things, they began to run away and leave that. So the 12 disciples are not even with Jesus um, in his death. They abandon him on the night of his trials, his torture, and then eventually his execution. And so there's this there's this picture of it's not until he's on the cross that we even see a few of the disciples and Mary come around um, in that setting. But all through um, his trial and all through his condemnation, they have abandoned him. So we, we see over and over again that Christians need to be reminded that they cannot do this in themselves. And that's part of the message of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Throughout the rest of the New Testament in the first century, from the first letter of the New Testament, which was probably James, all the way to the last letter of the New Testament, the pa last pastoral letter, which was probably Jude, we see this warning 
that there are going to be false teachers and you are not to follow them and you are not to leave the truth. Stay in the truth. Do not abandon the truth. And so, my friends, notice this. The sheer volume of these scriptures should make us stop and deeply consider this warning. The sheer volume of it, just the fact that it's all throughout the Old Testament and it's all throughout the New Testament that we are to remain faithful to God is a very important truth. Why? Because he is faithful to us and we are called to be like him. So we're called to come and learn of him. And part of that is learning the sacrificial faith and the denial of self and the love for the other. Um, That is God's love toward us. He has an other-oriented love and he calls us to love like he loves, which is an other-oriented love, to love our brothers around us with an other-oriented love, and to love God with an other-oriented love, not a self-oriented love. So the sheer volume of it should cause us to stop and think. But the second one is, the clear warnings and dire consequences should also stop and make us consider, deeply consider, these things, these warnings. The fact that we are warned over and over again, and the condemnation is great from running away and leaving the truth. Now, this morning, we see that nothing has changed. Number four is this. Nothing has changed. The dangers are the same in this day and time. You look at the Philippians. You look at uh, James writing to all the early churches. You look all the way later in the first century to Jude, and he says, hey, those false teachers that you heard that may be coming, well, they're here. Um, That was written in the first century. Just go read the very, very short little letter of Jude, and it's all about false teachers. And You could look at the book of Jude or the letter of Jude and say, well, that could have been written last week for a bunch of churches here in Florida or a bunch of churches in America or a bunch of churches in India or a bunch of churches all around the world where there are false teachers preaching a gospel that is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see that nothing has changed. The dangers are the same. And we will ultimately either live for this life or we are going to live for the life that is to come, the next life. And so I want us to see this, our focus passage, and we're going to see some things very quickly. We're going to fly through it this morning, but I think it's going to make great sense, especially since we've laid the background for it. Look again with me on the second sheet in the box on the page, chapter 3, verse 17 and through 21. Actually, we're going to go to chapter 4 and verse 1. Look what he says in verse 17. Brothers... Join in imitating me. So don't follow the false teachers. But he says, join in imitating me. And keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he's talking about... He's talking about himself, the Apostle Paul. He's talking about Timothy. He's talking about Titus. He's talking about Barnabas. He's talking about the others that they would have come to know that were saying, okay, that guy teaches like Paul. That guy is always preaching and teaching about Christ and Christ alone. That guy is talking about grace. That guy is talking about, no, it's not about you. It's all about Christ. It's, you know, it's not the, the elevation of self. So people who have followed his example, the Apostles Paul, Paul is saying, Keep listening and imitating the people with our message. Look at verse 18. For many 
of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, underline this, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So these are people who at one time had been around the gospel, had accepted the gospel, so it appeared, and maybe were even preaching the gospel, and now they're actually enemies of Christ. Very sobering words. Look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Underline that phrase. With minds set on earthly things. That's what these guys are about. These guys are not about the eternal glory of Christ and the life that is to come. These guys have their minds set on this 70, 80, if you're fortunate, 90 years and what all they can get out of it and what all they can build in it. Look at verse 20. And here's the great contrast. Look what he says in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, that's an amazing phrase, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, underline this, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm like this in the Lord, he's saying, my beloved. So, I want you to see a few things out of this text. Number one, see Paul's urgent call to hold onto and to live out the truth. He is urgently calling them to hold onto and to live out the truth. Back in verse 15, we saw this, and I want you to see how it kind of keeps coming up through this whole little chapter. Look back in verse 15, right there underneath that, it says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Look what he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He's saying, hold on to it. Don't let go of it. I know there's going to be other ideologies that come along. I know there's going to be other arguments. There's going to be other ideas that come along. And at first, they're going to sound good. But don't leave the truth of Christ that has been shed abroad in your heart. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join me in imitating me. He says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have with us. So he's saying, keep looking to those who are in the truth. Don't look away from those things. You know, this mirrors the passage in Hebrews that says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, this does not, this does not conflict with that. You say, well, wait a minute. Paul is saying, um, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. What, are we supposed to be looking at Jesus or are we supposed to be looking at these people who um, are Christian leaders that Paul says who are like him? Well, the answer to that is yes. You should look and fix your eyes on Jesus. But sometimes as we're seeking to fix our eyes on Jesus, we, we by God's grace, have other people around us who are preaching the message of Jesus, who are living the life of Jesus, who are walking in faithfulness. And God knows that we're relational humans and we need people around us as well. So he's saying, don't look at all of those that are the bad examples. Look to those who are the good examples, who are pointing you 
to Christ. And so, yes, this is, this is part of the picture. In chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. Here we see it again. I've underlined it. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Over and over again, we see that same verb, standing firm, over and over again throughout Paul's letters. He is saying, don't let go. And even Peter says the same thing. Stand firm, hold fast, don't let go of the true gospel. Now I want us to see in verses 15 and 16 and um, 17 in chapter 4, verse 1, these things. You see, you need, if you're going to hold on to and live out the truth, you need the right thinking. And the right thinking comes from listening to God. So you need to listen to God, His Word, and His Spirit. And that's what He's saying. Hold on. God is going to speak to you. He's gonna, if you don't see this yet, He's going to show it to you. But keep listening to those who are telling the truth. And that's part of the second one. You need the right mentors. You need the right mentors. Look to godly people. This is the way God has chosen to do it. He's glorified by using people in other people's lives. It's not always the Holy Spirit showing up in a bedroom at night and and telling somebody how to live the Christian life or showing up in a vision all the time as you go from day to day. It's not God's Spirit doing that in person in that way. It is God in his relational way working through the lives of others who are faithful to the gospel. And so very often you have mentors, men that are mentors uh, to people, women that are mentors to people. Sometimes it's your parents. There's a portion in your life when it should be your parents. And then there's times when it's people around you, um, outside your immediate family. But we need mentors. I have mentors that I look to. I have mentors that know me. I have mentors that I ask wisdom from, that I ask to pray for me. And they're praying for me and they're, they're sowing into my life. I'm so grateful for that. We need godly mentors. That's part of what the church is all about. We see in Titus chapter 2 that women are to be mentoring women in the life of the church. It's not, oh, the younger gals just got figured out for themselves. No, the design of God is, is that we would be growing in our lives. And as you grow older and as you grow more mature, that you're able to mentor others because the young people that come behind us, not just among the women, but amidst the men too, we must have mentors in our life. This is godly thinking. Not only do you need the right thinking and the right mentors, but you also need the right stance. And that means being rugged and ready. Um, In chapter 4, verse 1, look what it says there in chapter 4, verse 1. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Now the idea is you don't just kind of stand there waiting to be blown over by the wind. And, you know, there's, there's ways that you can stand where you're not very stable, and then there's ways that you can stand where you're stable and you're ready. And the Apostle Paul is saying that if you're going to live the Christian life in a fallen, broken, messed up world that's full of lies and full of attacks against God, you can't be standing there just, just kind of going with the flow. You'll get knocked over or you'll get carried downstream. Here we see over and over again that God calls his people to stand ready. Very often the language of the New Testament is the language of, as we've seen here in sports, the the combatant sport mentality of straining, just struggling, um, fighting for that way. But we also see the, 
the combatant sport, uh, excuse me, the, the combatant military stance. Um, we see in Ephesians, take on the full armor of God, and it goes through the whole Roman armor um, that would be there. I mean, the picture is that this is a rugged and ready stance. And if you don't have a rugged and ready stance when you're living in a broken, fallen world, it's very likely that you will get carried away and believe the lies of the world and get carried away and follow after the heart of the world. And so look what he says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 3, underneath that. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. And then notice this. Act like men. Be strong. Now, the, part, of, part of the picture here is, is that you're not to act like little boys. Little boys that aren't, that aren't ready, that aren't strong. And you know, when, when a flood is coming and you've got to go rustle the cattle out of the field in the middle of the night and keep them from getting swept away in the flood... You, you typically don't send the, the ladies out there to do that. You call the neighbors. The men get together. I mean, they're, they're just stronger. I mean, you know, that's just a fact of biology. And so in this analogy of physical strength, he's saying, act like men. Be strong. Um, now, when it comes to spiritually, I know that some of the strongest people in the life of our church are, are women. That they have, they've just been through so much, and they've proven the Lord over and over again, and they have great faith in Him. I'm so encouraged by that. But here the picture is, in this physical analogy, is when the going gets tough, and the picture is that there's great pressure, we are to stand firm in the faith and with great strength with all that we have. So we see Paul's urgent call to hold on and to live out the truth. Number two, we see the realities of those who fall away, whether leaders or followers. So these may be false teachers that fall away and start preaching the wrong gospel, or this may be the average church member, the average Christian that appears to have accepted the truth, but now they are beginning to follow after the things of the world or follow after a false teacher. And we see this in verse 18 and 19. Look what it says. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, this can be applied to different false gospels. And in our present day and time, one of the greatest false gospels that is so prevalent in this day and time uh, around the world is the prosperity gospel. Uh, the gospel that God wants you to be healthy and God wants you to be wealthy. And if you have enough faith, that you will be those things. And that simply is a lie from Satan. That is simply not the truth. Um, we do believe that in Christ we will be perfectly whole when we get to heaven. We do believe that the riches of God have been poured out on all of those who follow and, and have faith in Jesus Christ. But the riches of this life and the health of this life is a very different thing from the riches and the health of the life to come. And so we just want to recognize that the Apostle Paul, he could be writing to prosperity preachers in this day and time that have carried many away and deceived many, appealing to their desires for 
earthly comfort, appealing to their desires of earthly, com- of earthly pleasures. This is, this is a direct appeal to the flesh. And a direct appeal to the flesh is exactly opposite of the message of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ's flesh was nailed to a cross. And so those who are spitting themselves, promoting to you that you should be comforted, that you should be seeking the comfort of this earthly life, those are enemies of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, notice here in verse 18 it says, for many of whom I have told you. See, the first bullet point is, is that their number is great. We see their number. Their number is a great number. It says, many of whom I have told you, often told you. He, he, he has warned them often about this. Um, notice in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14, it says, enter by the narrow, Jesus is speaking, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to, circle it, destruction. And those who enter by it are what? Circle that word many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And few are those who find it, or few who find it, or those who find it are few. Um, But notice that picture, that wide is the road that leads to destruction. That's the opposite message of much of the ecumenical gospel in this present day and time. Look at John 6, verse 66 through 69. This is the passages where we see people abandoning Christ. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. We see the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14 and 17. This is people abandoning Paul, uh, similar to this. And maybe these are some of the very ones that the Apostle Paul was talking about who are enemies of Christ. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed what? Our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. You see, friends, we we just need to see that those who fall away are many. It's not just a few. I have to tell you that one of my One of my joys is looking through the pictorial directory of this church over the last 55 years. And one of my sorrows is looking through the pictorial directory of this church over the last 55 years. I grew up here. I knew many of the people from the early days of the church. Um, And I, I just look through it and I see some who are sweetly, wonderfully walking with Jesus. And I see others who who maybe even unto their death they had turned away from Christ and left the gospel. Or even now it appears that they've turned away from Christ and we pray that they will come home to Christ, that they will come home to faith that they have heard in Jesus Christ. So this is is something that should burden us. This is something that should warn us. We We should recognize that the realities of those who fall away, that this is... This is a great number that this happens. And we should, we should not think that we stand. The Bible says in Proverbs, if any man think he stand, take heed lest he fall. 
And so let's flip the page and keep going. Look again at verse 18 and 19 at the top of the page. In verse 18 it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds, underline it again, I had you do it on the first page, underline it again, with minds set on earthly things. That's the key that their mind is set on earthly things instead of the eternal. So let's look at a few more of these. We see their tragedy. It is sad. He says, now I even tell you this with tears. He's thinking about these people, and it makes him sad. It makes him greatly disturbed that these who had seemed to have come to Christ, but then left Christ. Look at the next one. We see their deception. It is extreme. Look at verse 18, uh, the C part of that. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I mean, they're they're so off in their false doctrine, or they're so off in their turned away, in their apostasy, that they are actually enemies of the true message of Christ. It sounds like Alexander the coppersmith would have fit into that category, and obviously many others, apparently. We also see their destruction. It is hell. Here's the picture in chapter 19. It says, their end is destruction. And that's exactly what Jesus had said in this earlier passage that we saw um, just on the other sheet. That the, 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 the end result of this is not good, but it's utter destruction. We also see their worship. And what is their worship except that it is their desires. Their God is their belly. And so um, the whole picture is whatever they want from within, whatever they're hungry for in their flesh, that is what their God is. And so their appetite, and that's really when it says the, the word belly there, the idea is the actual word is appetite. So whatever they kind of have a taste for in this earthly life, because we know it's all about this earthly life, their minds are set on earthly things, that that's their God. Not the God of creation, not the God of holiness, not the God of of grace and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see their God is their own desires. And isn't that what we see in the world around us? I mean, isn't that what all the vacation commercials on television are appealing to? Isn't that about much of the car ads and much of the luxury ads and much of all these ads? Isn't that all just appealing to things that are the comforts of this life or the status of this life appealing to these. And that's, that's even what we get to in some of these others here. We see their boasting. What do they boast in? What are they really proud of? It's even their perversion. Um, so, and they glory in their shame. I mean, this is, the, this is the preacher that says, hey, look, if you're really full of faith like me, you can drive a Rolls Royce and you can wear a Rolex. I mean, that's, that's part of the picture. I mean, they're proud of it. They're promoting it. They're, 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 they're proud of their mansion, and they're, they're proud of all of these other things. And it doesn't just have to be the prosperity preacher. It can be the little old church member that has all these things that they've amassed, has all this little life that they've set in order. And, and they're very, very proud of this, and yet there's no eternal thinking on their mind. My friend, this is part of the great deception of this. How about this as well? We see their trade, and their trade is this. They have traded the eternal for the earthly, 
And it's so very, very tragic. You see, their minds are set on earthly things. And so notice on your outline, they trade life for death. They trade the priceless for the worthless. They trade the spirit, the things of the spirit for the things of the flesh. And James 4 makes it so clear. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Look at the little letter of 1 John 2.15. John writes and he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Friends, God's people are called to recognize that the things of this world are passing away. They're not to live their lives for the stuff here and now. They're to really be living their lives for the things that are, are to come. And this is convicting to me. This is convicting about, you know, the times when I spend time working on this or working on that, and I think, man, this is all going to burn up. This is all going to be part of the big cloud of smoke back when eternity starts. Why, you know, why would I spend very much time with that? And well, we should consider that. We should consider the things that are not going to last in eternity versus this glorious, exhaustive picture of all that God is and all that he stands for and all that he's promised that shows us the words of, of life and eternal life that is to come, the reward that is, that is for those who are in him and living for him. And that's one of the great tests. One of the great tests is, are we living for now? Are we living for eternity? Um, and that's by faith we live for eternity and this pleases God. And then he rewards. There's a, there's a tremendous reward that he talks about over and over and over again that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's a rewarder of those who serve him. And so it, it should be a constant reminder to us that we are called to live for the things that are lasting and not the things that are passing away. And so, as we, as we looked at the reality of those who fall away, now let's look at the massive, number three, the massive contrast of the true Christian's perspective. So, what is a true Christian, what is his perspective about this earthly life? Um, he doesn't just run around in his underwear with nothing around him and, you know, um, eating the grass of the field. I mean, that, that's not what God calls us to do. Oh, I'll just live my faith. And, and no, that's... That's not what we're necessarily called to do. We still have to deal with this life. We see the Apostle Paul. He had to deal with the things of his life. Even Jesus had to deal with the things of this life. That's what he, he chose to do in this. But notice this, what we, the perspective, though, that is here. In verse 20, we read, But our citizenship, so the word but that is there is the contrast. So that's the false teachers who are living for this present life. But look what he says. But... Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power of God that, is, that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So everything is subject to himself. He has total power over all creation, and this is the God who can raise you from the dead and give you, listen to this, a body like his. And so he's saying it's not only about the spiritual things, 
But even your body is going to be amazing. I mean, Jesus' body was pretty amazing. He walked through walls. He walked through doors. He was able to do all kinds of things. I believe when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing what we can do. Um, this, we, we've been talking about this for the last year in the life of our church, that heaven is underrated in many Christian circles. Heaven just There's some people that don't even want to go to heaven because it seems boring to them. Well, that is a satanic lie. If you begin to study what the Bible really describes about heaven and you begin to recognize all that is there, it's going to be mind-blowing. We can't even imagine. In fact, the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for us. And so that's part of what we see in this text. This text, he's saying, look, these guys are after the flesh. They're so foolish The things that are in this life are nothing compared to what is coming. So he's saying, first of all, notice this with me. Our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not our home. Heaven is. Our citizenship is in heaven. Notice the next part. We are not our Savior. We can't save ourselves through going back to the law. We can't save ourselves through comparing ourselves to others. And, and, you know, whether it's, you know, Betty Baptist or whether it's Joey the Jew. I mean, either one. Neither of these are the right way. Our Savior is Christ. And you see, look what it says in verse 20b. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at the next one. Our bodies will be like his, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So if you want your best life now, you can have it, but you will have destruction in the end, and what you experience now won't even closely compare in any imaginable way to what Christ has promised for those who trust in him and live for him. And so we, we see this glorious eternal truth that we have every reason to live ultimately for the life that is to come. And God has set it up so that we can glorify him now. And he has even set it up where his children can be rewarded for that and enjoy all that is to come. Notice that in this great contrast, earlier they were called dogs, evildoers, and enemies of Christ. But when you come to chapter 4 and verse 1, now we see the great contrast is they're called brothers. And notice this, they're who are loved and longed for. So the Apostle Paul's writing from prison in Rome, and he's writing to the Philippians, and he's saying, you are my brothers, I long for you. Man, you're not the ones who have left Christ. You're not the ones who have become an enemy of Christ. You are dear brothers in Christ. And he's just, there's such a contrast. And then look at this. He calls them my joy and my crown. He's saying that because of all that God has done in your life and because I, you're a crown that I will cast to the glory of Christ when I finally see him. Your life has been my effort and it brings me great joy that you have received the gospel, walk in the gospel, and one day we will be together with the Lord. And he's just, he's just seeing that this is... This, or he's saying that this is part of the great joy of his life. And he calls them even my beloved. Um, this is this picture of I just, you, you are the people that I love so very, very much. An extreme difference between the dogs, evildoers, and enemies of Christ. Well, friends, I hope and pray 
that this message today causes you to really begin to think deeply about the true call of the gospel on your life. And that you would begin to really look and see all of the beautiful picture of that which is promised to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That those who don't leave the gospel, who, who don't run to the easy things that are all around us, but that begin to see that pursuing a holy God in a broken and sinful world is actually worth it because by faith we trust that he will deliver on his promise. There are some who refuse to deliver that, to believe that. They refuse to believe that God is truly going to deliver on his promise. It's just too far away for them. Um, they they have, have not accepted uh, the call of God and the, the glory of the call of the gospel in their life. My friends, my question for you, and I, and I want to challenge you this week, not just right now, I do want you to think about this right now, but I beg you to take some time this week in quiet devotion, and um, I don't know, an hour or a week, I, I don't know how long you need to take for this, but number one, are you growing in maturity in Christ? Or are you stagnant? Are you growing in maturity in Christ? Or are you stagnant? Or are you gradually slipping away? Now, if you can, I would put a circle around those, those last two together. Because we very often are stagnant before we start slipping away. And uh, I've often heard it said that you're either growing closer to Christ or you're growing further from Christ in your practice all the time. You're never really staying the same. But I do believe it's possible to be stagnant. And that is a, that's a dangerous position to be in. And it's, a, it's not a joyful position to be in. I, I just want to encourage you. Are you growing in maturity with Christ? And we do that first and foremost through being with his people. I really believe that the church is one of the greatest ways that we, it is designed to help us press on in our walk with God. This is, this is incredibly important. But also in your personal life. Um, you see that the church together, we talked about that Wednesday night, the church together is very, very important as part of our, our growing maturity in Christ. Number two, are you honest with yourself in listening to God? Or can you not be bothered with a message like this? Are you willing to stop and really evaluate your life with the Holy Spirit speaking to you? You know, kind of like this passage where the apostle says, God will show it to you. I believe that God speaks to true Christians and he will show them where they're right and he will show them where they're wrong. And my question is, do you take the time to honestly look at your life and ask yourself, am I where I need to be with God? What about number three? Do you have godly mentors who really know, who really know you, that you look to and listen to and emulate or that you imitate? You need mentors. Some of you would say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I haven't even truly come to faith. I mean, I kind of thought I used to believe when I was a kid, but then I, I, I obviously have not really embraced Christ. 
um, maybe for many decades. Um, but I, I really, I'm, I'm really not there. Let me say to you, there's nothing wrong with you reaching out to someone and saying, hey, can we talk about your faith and can we talk about my faith? I mean, there's many of you who, there's people around you that they would love to sit down and just simply talk, have an honest, open conversation. No pride, no, no position, no shame. But I believe that people who truly seek God are willing to not care about what others think, but simply start to care about what God thinks and evaluate their walk with Him. And you often need to do that with a mentor. You know, I, I would love to help you with that. I, I know that the other pastors, Pastor Lucas, would love to sit down and, and visit with you about that. Pastor Jason would love to visit with you about where are you with the Lord. And there's many other people in our church that would love to sit down and visit with you about where you are with the Lord um, and help you evaluate that. I mean, a simple message to my email address or the others that simply says, I really need to talk to someone about this. I'm tired of running from God. I'm tired of doing my own thing. God's maybe been using this coronavirus and God's maybe been using Philippians to help me evaluate where I am. I really need to think about this. My friends, what a glorious thing that would come from this. Look at number four. Are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom with your life? Really, what, what are you building? Are you building your reputation? Are you building your riches? Are you building um, your comforts and your nice life? Or are you building all of the things that God says are eternal? His kingdom that you're investing in the love of others and you're investing in the truth of his kingdom going forward in the world just in the way that you live your life you say well does that mean i need to resign from my job no probably not it probably means you just need to go into your job with a kingdom mindset that god has put me here for a reason and that god i i may be the only person that ever prays for the people that I'm with and some people say but you don't understand they're so unreached no they're not you're there you can reach them and um, it's just amazing when Christians begin to really pray and when Christians begin to take steps of faith and and seek to be a godly dad or a godly mom or seek to be a godly co-worker Um, the 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 story is not yet finished of how God will use you in the lives of your co-workers, in the lives of your children, in the lives of your neighborhood, your community, um, even your hobby life, that God can use you in his life. Notice number five. What are the greatest investments of your time and your money? What are the greatest investments of your time and your money? Are they earthly or are they eternal? Um, I... I believe that Jesus, over and over again, challenged us with this. That are we going to simply hold on to our kingdom here, or are we going to embrace his kingdom in those things? Uh, I believe that as we think about that, both of those things, our time and our money, often reveal our heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, Let me challenge you. 
Don't invest in the things. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust and, and moths break through. Excuse me. Moths eat it up. Thieves break through and steal or rust corrupts it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths don't eat it up, thieves don't steal it, and rust doesn't corrupt it. The picture is that we would live for the things that are eternal. This week, I wrote a, a small message for our school yearbook, and I started it off with a phrase that was over my kitchen table as a kid growing up, not far from this building. It said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I hope and pray that we will evaluate our lives in light of the call of this great word. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray and I ask that you would cause us to deeply consider, Lord, are we holding on to the true gospel of Christ? Have we believed the lie of works-based righteousness, or are we trusting solely in your sacrifice, your perfect sacrifice for our sins? Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal are we living for this life or are we living for the next? Are we going to give out or give up or give in in this life? Or are we going to hold fast and stand firm and imitate that which is right, all pointing to the life that is to come? Is our body going to be destroyed because we live for this time alone or are we going to have a body like you because you have resurrected us unto eternal life and made us like you lord i pray that we would embrace the long haul i pray that we would embrace the difficult path of living for god in a broken world i pray that we would embrace the truths that you have so clearly taught us in the glorious word that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would be your people and that you would be our God and that from this day forward that we would say, I forget what lies behind and I press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.